of the things that I first enjoyed was the actual name. Now, is it Haggai or Haggai? Hands up if you would say Haggai. I've heard Haggai. Anyone want to say Haggai? A few. I'm going to use both. Not necessarily intentionally. But the great thing is, apparently the word hag, which may not be a nice word, um, actually stands for festival. So it might be that Haggai, Haggai, was born on a festival day. So I think really his name is actually Party Party. So that's fact number one. But um, Haggai is a brilliant book, and it is a book of exhortation and encouragement. But it is also a really good book of challenge, assurance, and promise. And if you read, if you know one verse from this book, it is that one. Be strong, work, for I am with you, declares the Lord, and I will fill this house with glory. So let's just do a little bit of an introduction. So Haggai, if you could move to the next slide, because I'm particularly pleased with this one. Look at that. I did that. I did that. Um... So, in here, last week we heard about Micah, and Micah was about 200 years ago. He's so last year. And, <laughs> and Micah was warning the people that um, they were treating people badly, there was injustice, they were not humble, and if they continued with that, there would be a consequence. And there was a consequence. So we see over the next couple of hundred years that um, that whole country was taken over by the Babylonians. Many of the nations were taken into exile. So fast forward 200 years to Haggai, and the Babylonians themselves have fallen, and now it's the Persians. So the Persians are in, and they have captured um, Babylon, and it's the year 539, that's 539 years BC. So just to get it into context, um, when you rule an empire, I don't know if you've thought about it, there's a number of ways you could do it. So number one, you could really oppress people and you know have a heavy military rule. Maybe that's how the Romans did it. Number two, you could take all your best people from that country away and bring them to your country, which is what the Babylonians did. Um, you know, we hear that about Daniel, don't we, specifically being selected. You could take all the best people away so that what's left is a bit weak. Or three, you could kind of be... Now, I'm paraphrasing this. You could kind of be a bit nicer, and you could actually let the people carry on, but kind of keep them on your side, but know that they're ruled. And that is what the Persians did, and that is King Cyrus, who came in, and he ruled that he wanted peace to be in the ex-empire of Babylon, and he allowed people that had been previously deported to go back. So that is where we are at the beginning of Haggai, so a group did return, because they were allowed to, 16 years earlier, and they returned to Jerusalem. So we all know Jerusalem it is a key city, isn't it, um, for the people of Israel. And when they got back, of course, all their town, their city, and their beloved temples was in ruins. So they immediately started to build it, and they got to the foundations but actually, at that point, they were getting a lot of pressure from their neighbours. There was political unrest, and they stopped. And this is all recorded in the book of Ezra. But then 16 years later, here comes Haggai. So I'm sorry about that long introduction, but unless you know what's going on, it kind of doesn't make a huge amount of sense. So we'll just read the passage. 
a call to build the house of the Lord. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Next slide, please. Thanks. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and all the labour of your hands. So I was really pleased to be able to speak about this passage for a number of reasons. But one reason is because of the next slide. Does anyone know what this is? Yes, it's Cyrus's cylinder. And I know when I found out of it, this, I was so chuffed. Now, that picture's slightly deceiving because that could be me holding it up in blaze. In actual fact, you can buy copies of this, but the original is in the British Museum. And the wonderful thing about this is this was found in 1879 in Iraq, and it records um, the decree of Cyrus to let the deported people go. And while it doesn't mention the Jews, it's dated from around that time, saying, you know, the Persian Empire is in. I want peace in the land. Go back to your countries and rebuild your shrines. Isn't that amazing? And it's there. I've never seen it. It's not that, well... It's not that big, is it? Um, but you can buy one if you want. Um, but I just love that, that, you know, some, something in the Bible. They, the, the British Museum must have known that this was created and went out searching for it, and that's why we've got it. So I'm not going to make any comment on that. But I just wanted to say that. Isn't that great? We're not making all this stuff up. There's evidence. <laughs> so now the other thing I really love about Cyrus cylinder as well as Cyrus cylinder is I love a little picture so next slide please um, I just want to explain how the people are feeling and how relevant it is to us because I'm afraid I suggested earlier that Haggai might be party party but it isn't exactly so um, as I mentioned that the, the um, exiles had been repatriated but they were actually at a very low ebb. Um, they'd returned, things weren't great, they'd started to build the temple, um, and then they'd been put off. 
They were probably poor because they were no longer in charge of their own economy. Um, they definitely were deprived. As you, we read in the passage, there were droughts, there were harvests. I think you can say from the little unhappy face that morale was low. They were definitely on their back foot and they'd had a right old tough time. They don't have a picture for a temple, so I had to use a mop and bucket <laughs> to really just say that their temple was in ruins where they would normally meet as a community to have God in the center. All that stood there was the foundations that had just been sitting there for 16 years unused. They had tried before, but their efforts had been forcefully put down. The temple was in ruins. And then the little speaky person is, although they're back at home, they're still not under their own um, government. They're being ruled from afar. They're being told what to do. And, I mean, this feels a bit similar. We had a bit of a difficult time, didn't we, during pandemic? And it seemed that we spent a lot of time in B&Q. I, I personally didn't. <laughs> but it's, it's I understand, well, I think, that the people, they thought, oh, we've tried the temple. Things aren't great. Let's prioritize our own comfort. It's tempting. Um, and it said in that passage that they lived in houses panelled of wood. And I wouldn't have thought that would be usual for your average house at that time, to have a lovely wood panelling in. That's an unusual thing. And then I thought, well, where did they get that wood from? They probably got the wood from the stuff that they'd prepared um, to rebuild the temple. So they were actually using resources that were set aside from God. And then in the middle, I wouldn't be surprised if they were just asking themselves, look what's happened to us. Where is God in all of this? Where's his plans for us to be a great nation, ruling over others with a great temple with God's presence in the middle? I expect they were asking, where's God? There is no hope. And what I love about this passage is that God knows where they're at. God knows that they're cold and that they're hungry. And he's really challenging their view. And he's saying to them, think carefully. What are your priorities? Think carefully about what you're doing and what your priorities are. So the amazing thing is that they set to work. Um, but I mentioned this was all about challenge, assurance, and promise. So God has put out the challenge to say, why is my house in ruins when yours are wood paneled? So this is what happens next. And the next verse, please. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, I'm sorry that this has to, have to keep saying this, but I'm doing quite well with it, aren't I? Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of God, the Lord their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadok, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month, which is actually August, because their calendar started differently. So... God's challenge was accepted. But what I love about this is that God wants to reassure them that I am with you. He knew they were vulnerable and he cared for the detail. 
in some of the books of the prophets, the prophets are really harsh, aren't they? They go in all guns blazing. You know, they talk about blood on hands. But in here, it's more of a think carefully about your, what you're doing. What are your priorities? And what I really like about this is that our choices matter to God. And the apathy and injustice, as we saw in Micah and in this book, there is a consequence. Rebellion to God, not putting God first, there is a consequence. But God says, I am with you. So if we see the next slide, so they've started to build it. And then on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all of the people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord God Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. So, oh, there's another one, sorry. This is what Lord Almighty says, in a little while, while I will once more shake the heavens and earth, the sea and dry land, I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house says the Lord Almighty, and in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. So it's moved on a bit. They've started to build, and yet again, God knows what's going on. And yet again, I've got a set of fabulous little images. So, <laughs> bear with me on this, but I do enjoy them. Um, the people were disheartened. Um, they'd started to build, which is great, but actually there were people there who'd seen the former temple built by Solomon, which was a wonder of the world. And I think some of them were thinking, well, this is a bit pathetic, what we've got here. But God wants to really encourage them to keep working because he is with us. I think the people were still thinking, basically as a nation, we're on a downward path here. Okay, we've got a temple, but it's not as good as it was. Um, but how does God react to that? He again challenges them, be strong and work in hope. And he reminds them on his little tick list, look where I've been faithful before, bringing into mind something so significant to them about when they were um, prisoners in Egypt. He's saying to them, look to the past where I've been faithful to you. I will be faithful again. And then God makes this amazing claim that even though what they see is very disappointing, that he will shake the nations and that he will again fill the house with glory, meaning that his presence would be there most powerfully. And he promises once more, God is again promising them. He's saying, my plans have not been disrupted. He's saying, your choice matters because you are part of my plan. And... Um, they did, they did build the temple and they finished it in four years. 
Um, and what is amazing about that is this little book talks about them um, doing the temple, which was the same temple that Jesus went to. So their actions at that time were really significant. The temple was rebuilt. And the present house will be greater than the former. Well, how could that be? Well, we know, don't we, because we know about Jesus, that the key is relationship. It is not about the building. But actually, you know, we have the Holy Spirit now. And um, one of the amazing things is that it was 500 years later that in that temple that they built that Jesus is presented. And that's what we read in Luke 2 about how the glory of God does indeed return. So I just think, I think this is fabulous. I hope you're all enjoying it. <laughs> but it's amazing, isn't it? Um, so just reading from Luke 2, chapter 22, Jesus presented in the temple. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what it is said with the law of the God, a pair of doves or two pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the um, custom of the Lord required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people of Israel. Isn't that fantastic? So we see that promise being fulfilled later. So really, just to go back to um, the overall book of Haggai, um, if I could have my next slide, please. Um, because it was so good, I thought I'd show it again. <laughs> this is a book of challenge. It is of exhortation. It is saying to the people then and to us, what are our priorities? You've had a difficult time. We've had a difficult time. We've kind of turned a bit internally, haven't we? We've panelled our houses. We've been to B&Q. Um, and there's nothing really wrong with that as long as our priorities are with God and we are waiting to be obedient to God. And I was also struck that God had given the people resources to rebuild the temple. Really, there was nothing stopping them. And it's easy, isn't it? I know with myself, I get drawn up in things, particularly if I'm thinking life's tough. I turn to my own things. And I sometimes use the gifts that I've been given, or I don't use them, actually, or I don't use them for the right thing. Um, and God is saying it is time to use our gifts. And I know myself that I'm probably a bit at my worst if I'm in fear, if I'm doing something and I think I'm not quite good enough, I haven't got the resources, I think I've got nothing to contribute here. But actually, God has given us the gifts. Wherever we are, he's put us in our workplaces, schools and homes. And he has given us the gifts. He is challenging us to use those and to prioritize him. But he's also assuring us that he is with us. And I find that so encouraging. And I know um, I often have to ask people to do stuff in my job. 
And sometimes people just say, oh, I just don't think I'm good enough to do that. And I'm thinking, mate, if you don't do it, <laughs> who's going to do it? And I think sometimes we can be a bit like that. I'm not, I'm not good. I can't do that. And I think we've seen that a bit with our worship. People are just, oh, I can't, I can't do that. But I think if, otherwise it's going to be me on the triangle. So I think, you know, this really is the time for us to think, what are, um, what are our um, gifts and our talents? And are we prioritizing them for the service of God? And I've just realized I put post-its at the end of your row. If you think, maybe if you think God's speaking to you about something, and it might be that actually God is challenging you on something, make a note of it or do a smiley face or an unsmiley face um, there at the end of your row. But also, the great thing is there that God is assuring us. And also, he's assuring us that our choices are important. I think sometimes we can think they're not. But I was just amazed to see how that two-page book in the Old Testament has got repercussions going forward. And it was because those people decided, in a, you know, in a short book of four months, that they were going to rebuild the temple. And God is in charge and I suppose I do, I want to assure you of that, but I also think we need to look at what God has promised us. I think we look at the people of Israel at that time, and they were looking around, thinking, God's not here. There's no hope. I can't see how his plans are working. It's all gone terribly wrong. But God sees them, and he challenges them to their priorities, but he lifts their eyes and says, Look at who I am. Look at what I've done in the past. Look at my promises. And it's wonderful, isn't it, that Jesus promises us, I am with you till the end of the age. So I thought we could just pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are with us, that your spirit abides with us, and that you keep every promise you have ever made. Grant us grace to consider and discern every place where you are not yet preeminent and where we are not yet set apart for your special use and service. The longing of our hearts is that you build your house in our lives, our community, our country and throughout the world so that in all things you have the first place and the Father is honoured in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>